Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a fireside chat from the 2019 pod, Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference, where Credence Med Systems' John Marriage and Pfizer's Matthias Rahmacher discuss the journey of an emerging medical device company from idea to commercialization. The 2020 pod event will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. Enjoy the podcast. So just to kind of set the stage a little bit and also why we're having this conversation. So, so I'm obviously Matthias Romacher from Pfizer. And uh, I mean, many of you guys probably know me. I mean, I'm quite an industry veteran. And I always find it very enchanting when uh, going uh, to this uh, conference, especially uh, how many new faces I see and also how many new companies. And uh, you know, we thought in terms of relevance also, there is a lot of like new companies and they start obviously talking uh, to the big guys, I mean, we just did BMS on stage, and uh, and usually, I mean, there's obviously some kind of a baseline as to how they actually start and then how they actually progress. So we actually thought uh, when we talked to the organizers, it could really be interesting to uh, actually uh, have a company that kind of started out this decade, get them on stage, and then really have with them uh, a bit of a chat. I mean, how they actually came with ideation, how they came around, why this area of business and also uh, how they progress, and then also give us a bit of a, a retrospective, uh, what actually, how things are going, and also maybe if they could travel back in time, what would they do differently? Uh, so uh, with that, I would like to introduce uh, John Marriage, and I hope I pronounce it correctly this time. Perfectly, my maiden name is Romacher, so this is part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just if we're not related, but <laughs> it's fair. So he's the Chief Commercial Officer at uh, Credence, Met Systems, and he's obviously leading the uh, company's commercial strategy and execution. And before he was Vice President Marketing Market Development at Sanofi, so obviously he knows Big Pharma quite well, uh, which he joined uh, upon his acquisition of Bluromed, where he was uh, the third employee. How many were there in total? In the end, 25. Okay, well, that's quite something. The end being the acquisition, not that's, the end. That's quite something. That's really good. Okay, so uh, just to create some kind of context, I mean, we, I think it makes also sense to briefly introduce not only John, but also the offering of the company, and then we dive right in. So I think if we could have the next slide, please. I think it's only two of them anyway. So. Yeah. We could. Is that, is that the one, or? Uh, oh, here we go. Okay. Either will do. Yeah. Well, thanks, Matthias, and thank you for having us here. This is a, a wonderful conference. It gets better every year. You guys are doing a great job. And I thank you for implying that we will soon be the scale of BMS. I think that was what was implied in your, in your earlier statement. Uh, very briefly, because I think the conversation is more interesting, we're focused entirely on drug delivery devices and injectable drug delivery devices. We've been around going on seven years, founded in this decade in 2013. Uh, so, you know, we've transitioned out of startup to, I guess, emerging towards commercialization. Uh, currently, 22 employees, so, you know, we've added quite a few since we started. Located in Menlo Park, and while we have a nice broad pipeline, we fight the temptation to be too diluted. And so our approach is we've got our core products that we're advancing towards commercialization. Uh, scaling uh, into multiple cavitation, uh, multiple cavity tooling and, and assembly. And then we've got a series of products that we bring to a point of readiness for discussion with pharma. And then depending on a various relationships, we will then advance those. So there's a glimpse of our product line, but 
think that's probably a good enough overview. Thanks, for now. Yeah. We can also leave it up here because it's our final slide. So yeah, it's this we're done. Let's it's, it's, let's leave it up there then. So uh, starting uh, obviously with 2013. So I remember also uh, we were at a conference. I back then back in the day I was still with Amgen, right? And uh, again, those meetings are often a bit like family reunions. You know, a lot of people. I didn't know you, so. You approached me, and I guess it probably was part of your plan. You would approach a lot of like players in that area. We had a lot to learn early on. Uh, yeah, and, sure. and, and I remember also that, I mean, you asked a little bit like, okay, I mean, we have this kind of idea. But I was like, oh, interesting. I mean, just met him, and they, we were already talking shop. I mean, my initial recommendation was just don't fiddle with a primary container, whatever you do, right. Right? right? But if you could elaborate a little bit, I mean, how did you actually come up with the idea and then... Uh, and then how did you go about it, and how did you actually get to know the players in the it, industry? Yeah, I mean, it was... Many of us um, have, have done this before. We're entrepreneurs, right? So you're constantly looking for an area where a technology um, and a market opportunity and an area of differentiation all merge into one, and, and then your antenna go up, and you do everything you can to advance that opportunity. So. Our chairman of the board and CEO had an incubator. An incubator, for those who don't know, is basically where you throw some money and some personnel, and it gives you a chance to vet ideas and vet markets. Some technology and drug delivery came in. It's very different from what you see on the, on the screen. But it opened our eyes to the market opportunity in injectable drug delivery and the, the, the viability of, of bringing differentiating devices to the market. And then Jeff and his team basically invented from scratch this idea of uh, modularly adapting to existing primary package components to, to deliver what in the end is an injection system that has usability advantages and safety advantages and a variety of other advantages. So, so it was a glimpse into the market opportunity and a really strong and inventive development team that kicked us off. We saw that there was enough opportunity and we exited from the incubator and became Credence Med Systems. So you, so you really saw a void in the market, right? I mean, obviously, uh, I'm obviously around for quite a while. I used to have hair when I started. And um, so, I, I mean, you could really see all those new players actually really coming in. I mean, initially, there were like basically only two or three companies offering preferred syringes. Right. Now there's more. Now we have plastic. Same thing with auto-injectors, with pens. And then, of course, we got like new industries joining, like uh, totally like onboarding, patient onboarding industry joined. So, so in a certain way, you hit a bit of a crowded market. So what yeah. kind of, what was actually the niche you actually identified that you actually wanted to march into? On all of our stuff, you see this idea of innovation without change, which don't take too much credit. I don't want to get sued for trademark violation, but you were certainly part of, uh, part of the genesis of that idea, right? Which is, in as much as possible, make your, first, make your first fundamental principle to minimize the barriers to, to, to adoption by pharma, right? So maximize the, the differentiation, the innovation, minimize the barriers to adoption. And that's where we saw uh, white space, right? There are others, there were others that are out there that have differentiation, and there are others that have maybe less differentiation, but are, um, let's say, sticking true to, to the existing platform of technologies out there. We think the space and the opportunity is somewhere in between, right? Minimize the disruption, minimize the barrier to entry, and maximize the, the innovation. It, it's pervasive through our design, 
Every design meeting we have starts with don't disrupt the core accepted primary package components. But it's also our business model, right, which is to work with a lot of the people in this room within the supply chain so that trusted processes and preferred partners are maintained so that pharma has choice on how they want to implement our technology. Yeah. I, I, thanks. I, I would assume there's probably quite a few folks in this uh, room that maybe may be similar to your position in 2013, 14, 15. So now with you having like 22 employees, I mean, it's obviously an indicator that things are going quite well. Still, if you could travel back in time, where is, what would you actually do again the same? Or are there any areas uh, that you maybe you would have do a little bit differently now, now that you know? That's a hard one, right? And, and I think, you know, this is an anecdotal, this is a discussion. I know some folks are looking for more science. This is not that. But if there's anything to learn from it, if anyone is out there and, and, and living that entrepreneurial life, I know there are many, you know, cash is king, right? You've got to be precious with every dollar you spend. That doesn't mean be frugal. There are times when you should spend. We spend on molds during the development process. We spend on designing from the beginning to be implementable at high volume. But we don't spend on frivolous things. So lesson one that I would always say to any startup is mind your balance sheet. It is what is going to give you the runway you need to be, to be ready when the opportunity presents itself. Right? So that's lesson one. I think lesson two, maybe on, on, under the category of what would we do differently? You know, I think Jeff and I still have blood on our face from some of the early product demonstrations to pharma, right? <laughs> Where we, made a co we made a conscious decision that we need to learn what the product needs to be, and we're going to do that through human factors, yes, and user studies, but we're going to do that by demonstrating to people like you and your colleagues in the audience. And sometimes that doesn't go so well early in the life cycle of, of, of a development of a device. I would do it again, but I might find a way to couch expectations on some of those early meetings, right? When the device blows up, you know, in 2013, um, you know, we got to manage expectations because we're out there and, you know, your, your heart's on the table and you think you've invented the greatest thing in the world, only to realize you're going to reinvent it 52 times over the next five years. So that's a learning. But it's still worth it because it ends up, in the end, in a better system, in a better device. Great. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how, obviously, you're pulling things together and the funding. You mentioned it before, right? But it's still like, I mean, I assume and, uh, that you're probably still at, like, in the phase of building things up, right? So right. definitely you need capital to come in. So how did you actually pull your team together, right? I mean, obviously, you're 22 people now. What were the criteria? What kind of people actually would join? And, and when is actually the right time to add to the team? And then also, how actually you do the funding? I mean, how do you keep yeah. the people who give you money happy? Right. And how do you collect it? The first criteria is you have to be bald, but we decided to be lenient on that. We brought Mark Hassan and Lisa, who are here today. They have hair, sort of. But. So once we got over that, once we got over that. Um, you know, the earliest fundraising is the hardest, but it's one of these things where if you've proven it before in other businesses, your investors come back to you, right? So fortunately, our management team has all built companies from scratch, and, and they're companies that have had successful outcomes for their investors. So you build a track record and that gets you access 
to people with money or companies with money. You still have to have a great technology, you still have to have a defendable market, but it gets you access. Now the subsequent rounds depend on progress, right? Um, and sometimes you're in the company and you see all the progress on a daily basis, but you need those milestone events that are more marketable. And sometimes your investors, God bless them, are not as intimate with your business and the, and the travails of your business. So those marketable events are critical to keeping the, the gunpowder coming, the investment coming. So for instance, it's a pleasure today. We have a marketable event for us, right? We are announcing we've just received um, a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant to advance our dual chamber technology towards, uh, towards the market. Um, there'll be a press release out in a couple of days. That's the kind of stuff that you can sort of put out and people get it and it helps bring more money. Fundamentally, the business has to be sound. To the first question, uh, most of the team has worked together in other companies. Um, Lisa and Jeff have worked together for dating back, sorry to date, but 25, 30 years, right? So you know the team and being in the industry long enough, you know where you want to go when, when new needs arise. So fortunately, we know each other well. We're an experienced team, and, and it allows you know, us to travel all over the world because we know the people at home are, are doing what they need to do. Good. So kind of moving on, I mean, that was actually very helpful to understand uh, how it actually works. To me, it's always a bit of a black box. I mean, how you can actually get, get people to actually come on board and really seeing the opportunity for what it is. I mean, the other interesting aspect really is that uh, we kind of touched it before. I mean, you actually obviously have to go out. I mean, you, you know what you want to do, and now you actually have to go out and face the customer, right? And the customer is, I mean, obviously a big chunk is big pharma, right? And uh, I hear it over and over again when I talk to suppliers. It's not, it's not as straightforward, right, to approach big pharma. Every pharma is kind of different, right? And, uh, and they have different interior workings. They have different kind of buy-in about such technology and the value of it. Yeah. I mean, even within an organization, there may not be always there's the same perspective on, uh, on the value of such technology. But uh, in a certain way, maybe also helps us a little bit as pharma or so. I mean, when you actually uh, talk to us, I mean, maybe you can give us a little bit, first of all, I mean, how do you approach this? And then also maybe you have some kind of feedback for us. I mean, how could we actually make this kind of uh, conversation a little bit smooth and also more effective? Yeah. One of the jokes we tend to make is, I spoke with Pharma, I spoke with Pfizer, I spoke with AZ, but really you spoke with Matthias at Pharma, or you spoke with Sean at AZ. So you've got to, you've got to process the responses you get um, based on where you're getting it from, right? Early on, we talk with folks like you that are out looking at innovation and, and making them available to the team. And then you get into the vetting process and it's more about the engineering and the operations and regulatory, what's it gonna to take to, to actually implement. And then when you get into implementation, now you're dealing with everybody, right? And, and so the, the touch points change depending on the phase. I, I would say if there's any piece of advice I can give people in our position is it's gonna take longer than you think. And if that's obvious, it's a, it's a, it's a conservative industry for good reason. If there's any piece of advice I can give people in your chair is be honest, right? The tenants, we're all good people. You want to encourage someone. You want to, hey, you're starting a company from scratch. Do your best, do great. 
But if we're not getting your honest feedback, it's a, it's a faulty signal into our decision-making process. If I say, do you like this, and you say no, okay, it's my job to determine what to do with that. As an entrepreneur, maybe I'm going to ignore it, maybe I'm going to say Matthias is being conservative, or maybe I'm going to say Matthias is right, this is a dumb idea. But it's my job to interpret it. If you tell me I'm great, we're great, and you don't believe it, that's just faulty signal and it doesn't help. So be honest. We're all, we're all big boys and girls. We can take no. I prefer you say yes. <laughs> Even if you don't mean it, no. Um, but we need, it's our job to process the response, right? It really is. So be honest. Great. No, no, that, uh, I, I can certainly relate to that one, yeah, for sure. Just but, but one other aspect, actually, for me, I was also like uh, actually on the other side of... Uh, on the supplier side for a bigger t part of my career. And uh, it's always interesting, I mean, how, I mean, obviously, you often deal with some kind of gatekeepers in, in a good way, right? I mean, those are the experts on the pharma side, and they are definitely the ones who hopefully understand their, their inner workings and can actually help you uh, facilitate the conversation. On the other hand, of course, I mean, the ideal outcome or the entry point would obviously be if you could uh, talk straight to the brand teams, right? the commercial teams that would benefit from such uh, technology. Just kind of curious, I mean, how successful are you actually there? I mean, getting in front of those kind of people. I mean, I assume it's desirable. And, uh, and how, is that, how does that interaction work? I mean, is that, is, how powerful is that? Uh, it's, so that's a great question. And I would say that's a disconnect in our space, right? Um, we, early on, right, we're talking to you know, technology scouts or technology seekers, and that's cool, and engineers, and that's cool. Having the market feedback from the brand teams earlier on than we get it would be tremendously useful because our, we've got, I've got all kinds of data that's, uh, for that I've performed, that we've performed, and that our customers have performed that say um, our technology is vastly preferred by users, healthcare professionals and self-injectors alike over existing technologies uh, and, and others in, in the pipeline. Um, getting to the brand teams is when we determine whether that matters. And getting to the brand teams earlier is better, and they're hard to find. Um, until you're in a company, right? If, if you're working with a Pfizer, then you're getting, uh, you're having conversations with the marketing guys. But I would think there should be brand people here like, I don't, I don't understand, honestly, why there's not, because that would only inform all of us to develop better devices and systems for you. So I think that's a miss. And so the conference forum, Valerie, let's get some brand people here. <laughs> Make it instead of 450, 550 next year. It's a, very, it's a very good point. I'm pretty sure Valerie just heard it I with, hope so. I with interest. But again, this is a very interesting point. Yeah. I mean, for us all pharma guys here, but we, we obviously interact with those teams. Yeah. And uh, I personally also try to get them inter interested. And on a few occasions, I actually managed to actually get people from, uh, from brand teams to maybe join panel discussions. Yeah, that's great. I had it before in the past. But all in all, they have their kind of conference circuit. And again, talking conservative industry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have their, they go to ASCO, if they're like in oncology, they go to their diabetes conferences, and we still have a lot of work to do in terms of changing the mindset. It's an opportunity, for sure. though, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, obviously, we are pretty much uh, out of time. I mean, I don't know in terms of like maybe a, maybe a final thought. I mean, you, you're in now six years, right? And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're, if you're looking forward to, for the 
for the for the years to come. I mean, are there any kind of final remarks you have maybe to folks who were who are in a position that you were like six years ago? Yeah. I think the best way to be successful in an earlier stage company, and I'm looking at Patrick, and I know you feel the same way, you have to build it for the long term, right? If you, if you build it for an exit, you'll take shortcuts. You've got to be prepared for the long term. You've got to fundraise for the long term. You've got to keep your balance sheet healthy for the long term. And you've got to make the right design decisions so that you're not producing 10 devices that can show at a, at a conference you're producing or able to produce 50 million units units a year, and that guides your design principles and fundamentals. So that's what I would say. Good. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Pod Drug Delivery Conference. The 2020 meeting will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.